0: Laymen and good morning to one and to all. Uh, this morning we're returning again back to the book of Luke as we're continuing on our series through that particular book. This morning we'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. You'll find that on page 859 if you're utilizing a pew Bible. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let us give careful attention to it. The word of God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we have now been given this opportunity once again, to sit at your feet and to hear from your word. We pray that you would again open our ears and our eyes and illumine them so that we might be able to grasp all that you would have us to know, all those things that would move us towards being molded and shaped in the image of our Lord and Savior for your purposes and for your glory. Magnify our Lord in our eyes even now and cause us to see him as he is, high and exalted, high and lifted up. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as I read this text, and as often as the case, I was reminded of a a certain place and time. There each day was bright, a bright and beautiful sunny day. Everywhere you looked, as far as the eye could see, there was one stunning scenario after another. Now I ask you, stop for a moment and recall the most blissful environment you've ever been in in your life. Maybe a sunset in the Grand Canyon, Bliss by the Niagara Falls. I know for me it was when I was in the Navy on a ship heading to the coast of Morocco, Africa and it was sunset and it was just so beautiful, the sky and the water was just so calm and flying fish were coming out the sea and dolphins and it was just mind blowing to me. And so I ask you to, to multiply the best scenario that you've ever experienced in your life And dare I say that in that place, it was even much greater, a thousand times greater than that. Now imagine yourself walking by the reservoir and the water is so pristine and and crystal clear that you could see the marine life moving on the bottom, all that was there moving to and fro without any care in the world. There were four rivers in that place like that. If you've ever visited some of the beaches in the Caribbean, don't get jealous because I did, There, then you've caught a glimpse of of what I'm speaking of here in that place now. Also laid a purest gold and precious stones that anyone could have ever laid eyes on. All of that, but I tell you that paled in comparison to the relationships that the folks In that place had for you see they had total and free access to the one who created all things I mentioned all the things that I mentioned and he called them he did very good and friends let me tell you when God calls something very good it is not the same way it's used in our vernacular today Very good is beyond awesome, beyond perfect, beyond all because it's the God of creation himself who did all things good for his glory. And they were in perfect communion with this God, the folks were. And in perfect communion with each other, able to hear from him, from God clearly, without any negative imposition or hindrances, none whatsoever. The folks we were able to speak to, they were able in their relationships to speak clearly without, again, any hindrance as they spoke to one another. Can we make that same claim today? Today we hear things like, men think with one side of the brain and women think with the other and they, they and shall meet, and, and so on and so forth. Familiar breakdowns, no perfect communion with this God. They had perfect riches based on everything you just heard me say. They had perfect riches, all they could ever need. They had perfect sight. They could see what God had made, what he had planned, what he wanted, everything. They were not hindered in any way from seeing the things, the goodness that life had to offer and that God had to offer. They were, they had perfect freedom. Think about that. This earth is the same earth. They could roam wherever they wanted. They could fix, do, build go out and have dominion, subdue whoever they wanted, all they were stopped from doing, restricted from doing, is one little tree. One little tree. They had perfect freedom. Freedom from being in bondage to their own fault, to a fallen nature that caused them to do things that they did not want to do. Freedom from breaking down, from broken noses and all sorts of different things, if you will. Freedom from it all, I tell you, they had. And the greatest of all, again, is they had that unfettered access to our Lord. All their relationships were perfect. I dare say that Adam and Eve knew the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that hovered around and separated the land from the sea. They knew them. They knew those who said, and let us. And so they had all, and with one ill-intentioned, agenda-filled question, and the first incidence of a failure to lead as instructed, for the man in that place abdicated his God-given duty to protect. With all that, it was gone. Gone and left in its stead, a creation, as the Apostle Paul puts it, that is groaning to be renewed gone and left in its stead, all the troubles we see in this world today. Physical sickness, disease, poverty, oppression, and the greatest negative of all, spiritual death and separation from God, a state that manifests itself in spiritual poverty, the blindness, the enslavement, the oppression, All the stuff that we see happening in this fallen world today is a result, a consequence of that which I just stated. Now we should know and always be reminded that all of us were or are connected to this lineage of failure and destruction. For the scriptures declare that it was through one man, Adam, that sin entered into the world. And all are born in sin And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We shall also know and be reminded that the wages of sin is death. And since none of us are able not to sin and therefore unable to commend ourselves to God, we are justly, therefore justly, deserving of his wrath. And so, brothers and sisters, what we need is a champion. And I'm not talking about a champion like Michael Phelps because he broke all kinds of records, but he lost. I'm not talking about Muhammad Ali because he was called the greatest and he lost. And he's in a sport that I would, I would maybe say he shouldn't have been in. I would not say it's not a champion like all the kings that have been in creation. Not one of them. We need a champion who is undefeated, who is perfect in all his ways who will speak the truth and the truth always. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we'll see that that is who Jesus himself says he is. That is who Jesus himself will be seen to be. This is the gospel, the good news in this passage, according to Jesus Christ. Here he is, the one spoken of in Genesis 3.15 where we hear that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. That scripture, brothers and sisters, is a prophesied picture of Satan's attack of Jesus via his crucifixion on the cross, and Jesus' triumph via his resurrection. Here he is the one of whom Moses said to Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Friend, there is no one else that Moses could have been speaking of. For there is no one beside him of whom it could be stated, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speak to his friend. The Lord himself bore witness to that fact in Exodus 33, 11, concerning himself where we hear, with him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. That was Moses, and so Moses said that one would come like unto him, and so here he is introduced in this passage to you. He is returning, not just to his countrymen, as the text said, but to a place where he was raised. We then hear that it was his custom to enter the synagogue. Friends, don't miss that fact. It was Jesus' custom to enter the synagogue. What did you hear in the synagogue? You heard the word of God read and you heard the word of God preached. Now, think about this. This is God going to church. How many bad sermons you think he heard? How many preachers you think he didn't agree with? But yet it says it was his custom to not forsake the assembling of himself in the house of God with God's people. Why am I talking about this or stating this? Because we are called to imitate Christ. We are called to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And so as we look at this particular text, we see the grandeur of our Lord and what he has come to accomplish. But we also should be walking in the understanding that we are to emulate the things that he has done insofar as we as image bearers are able to. And so we make it our custom to come to the house of the Lord. So at this point, in this passage, he has been declared to be the son in whom the father was well pleased. That happened at his baptism. He has been tempted at all points by Satan himself and did not succumb in the least as Adam and Eve did. He lived a perfect life and he did not succumb, although he was under great temptation that knew no end. And now here he is in his hometown, on his God-given mission. A mission that he personally communicates, utilizing the work of yet another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. For as we've seen via our first scripture reading, verses 18 and 19 in this passage, comes directly from Isaiah 61. And so this morning, in the light of all that we've heard thus far, I'd like to go forward from here by answering Two questions. How was his mission? How was Jesus' mission carried out? And who are the beneficiaries of his mission? So first, how was his mission to be carried out? Answer, in the spirit. In the spirit. It is especially important for us to note this fact again because we are called to imitate our Lord. We are called to be ambassadors And we are though, through the process, as we go through the process of of sanctification, we are to be molded and shaped into the image of our Lord. And as such, we need to recognize that there was nothing, nothing that Jesus did apart from the Spirit. In verse 14 it says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Then when he began to read in verse 18, He opened with the words, reading the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The same spirit again that acted in creation, the same spirit that was there with him in eternity past as God himself. Jesus never, ever separated himself from the spirit. And it connects itself to the fact that his ministry was powerful wherever he went. We are told as Christians that we are to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That we are to be carried by the spirit. That we are to submit ourselves by the spirit. And here Jesus, as our example shows us, we are seeing that same exact thing in our Lord. That he walked and lived his life in the power of the spirit. Submitted totally to his father in obedience to his word. Are we able to say that that is what we're aspiring to? Are we able to? And the second a means by which Jesus carried out his mission was the proclamation of the gospel. That is the good news about himself. The news that again he came to an upside down world to make it right. That he came for those whom the Father had given to him before the foundation of the world. That he came. As you'll see to fix that which was broken to restore that which was stolen to return that which was taken and it's through the proclamation again of the gospel if you notice the word proclaim is stated three times twice in verse 18 and once in verse 19 he came in the power of the Spirit proclaiming the Word of God Not opinions of men. Not the the ten ways that you can be this and you can be that. But proclaiming who? Himself as God. As the mediator between God and man. As he who is the only name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. And so he stuck to the message as we should at all times in every way. And now... Who are the beneficiaries of his mission? Who are the beneficiaries of his mission? Who did he come to save? We know that scripture tells us he came to seek and save the lost. But here he's speaking in four definitive categories. And let me say to you that each and every one of us fit these categories. And there might be some in here who have never professed the Lord. And you might not recognize this. But these are the categories that you are well in. So first he came and Jesus said he was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. You see that in verse 18. The poor, he says, that is those who, who recognize that they have nothing to commend themselves to God. They recognize the bad news that they've been utterly Separated from God, not just through the sin of Adam, but through their own sin. They recognize that they're unable to fulfill the commandments to any degree of perfection whatsoever. And perfection is what God requires. And so they are broken in heart because they recognize their moral bankruptcy. That all the deeds of the prophet Isaiah describe that they could carry out. Our filthy rags. Jesus was letting them, us, know in his own words that a true and living hope was before them, that those who are broken down, those who are mourning, those who are mourning over their sin, who see and understand their inability, that he was here for them, that he saw the destruction of that which was created very good and the effect that it had on men, and, and now he was here to address that. I think of Luke 18, where you have the Pharisee who came before God, and he's bragging about he's not like other men, and how he's giving tithes, and, and he's puffing up his chest and doing all things, and then the publican is on the other side, and his head is down, and he's saying, oh, woe is me. And Jesus said, I tell you, it is that man, it is that man that is justified in the eyes of the Lord, the poor in spirit. The second thing he said was he was anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives. Friends, the lost believe that they are free. If you go around people who don't know Jesus, especially in our time, in our era, in this part of, of my lifetime The folks that that are lost, they really believe they're free. Commenting on that fact, MacArthur wrote, Law sinners imagine that they're free and see Christianity's infringing on their right to be and do what they want to do. But that is a tragic deception. Sinners are not free. All sinners owe an unpayable death for violating his law. And are in bondage to him who is able to destroy both soul and body in health. The lost are also in bondage to Satan, he goes on to say. They're held captive by him to do his will. Contributing to that deceptive state is the third thing that we see Jesus was anointed to proclaim or to, to deal with. And that is the recovery of sight to the blind. They're captivating. They're captive. Because they're blind. They don't recognize. They're not poor in spirit because they don't recognize. For you see, spiritual blindness is a natural state of a fallen man. Or as the scriptures declare, themselves declare, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. That's Psalm 82.5. And they have eyes, but they do not see. Jeremiah 5.21. Our Lord himself declared, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were de- were evil, the words of our Lord. So not only can the unrepentant sinner not see, but they relish the darkness they're in. They want to be in darkness, but the grace of God, all of us would like that, believe it or not, but the grace of God is such that he wrapped us. He wrapped us in his love and dragged us away from that, from being captive to ourselves, giving us a heart and a mind to understand our spiritual poverty and therefore to be poor in spirit and then rescued us from our blindness. We sing often together, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind and what now I see. It is the grace of God that has opened our eyes, that has caused us, that that should cause us to, to lift up our praises when we come here on Sunday, recognizing that it is because of this champion that we are free. And that is the next or fourth thing he said. He said he was anointed to free those who were oppressed. That is those who are spiritually oppressed. Those who are overwhelmed also by life's painful circumstance. Man, I can stop right here and tell you all kinds of painful circumstances around us. As a pastor, you don't have any, any, any choice but to know of painful circumstances. You don't have any choice but to be painfully aware of how much people need Jesus and neglect them. We, all of us, do the same thing. And so you live a life where your heart Because you see the harm that's being done by sin. You see the things that are happening around us. You see eight-year-olds being shot and killed. You see people drowning. You see all the things that are happening. And your spirit, your soul is downpressed, suppressed. There's all sorts of also spiritual oppression that's going on. Paul in Romans 7 decried the fact that he found himself... Doing those things that he didn't want to do and not doing the things that he wanted to. In his frustration, he wrote, and you could imagine hearing him cry out before God, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you ever feel like that? That you want to do that which is right in God's sight, and yet you find yourself. Not being on fire for the Lord. Not wanting to do the things that God has called you to do. Not walking the way that he's called you to walk. Thinking things that you ought not be thinking. Do you find yourself that way? And then feel downtrodden. If Paul had left it there, it would have been sad. But no, he follows up by saying, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you see, that is why Jesus came. To set free the oppressed. Friend, are you oppressed? Are you downcast? Jesus declared that he came to set you free. Are you bound in your sin and have not professed him? He claimed that he came to set you free. Are you going to allow the things and people of this world, your own fallen human nature, Satan, to keep you in chains? Listen, something or someone will be your master. That is the human nature. God has created eternity in the heart of man, it says in Ecclesiastes. And you're either going to fill that hole with drugs, immoral behavior, or something. That's why the blind go from one thing to another. The rich go from one thing to another, trying to find the next apresesiac. But then you hear that they have divorced. Then you hear that they've committed suicide. Then you hear that those who have all the resources in the world fall by the wayside. Why? Because something is going to master you. And Jesus came to be Lord of Lord, King of kings, and Master of masters. And he is the only one who will not be oppressive to the ones he came to set free. He himself declared, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus ends his reading by declaring that he was anointed, set apart, enabled to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the day of salvation that Isaiah wrote of in chapter 49, verse 8. And the year of redemption that he wrote of in chapter 63, verse 4. It had come. And at that point, he stopped. And what was essentially the first mic drop in the first century, he closed the scroll, sat down, and began to say, that is, he began to preach, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The one who was sent, who was promised in Genesis 3.15, is now standing before you. The one who will make all things right is now standing before you. And it was not the first time. He was in Judea before this one entire year. And that's why his fame went about all the place, places that he went. And now he's standing here and he's saying to them, I am he who has come in the name of the Lord to set my people free. This is the God of, to whom we turn. This is the Lord to whom we look. This is the one who has all the answers that we seek or should be seeking. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural of the fallen man will not accept the things of God, for they or neither will they, because they are spiritually discerned. And so we have to pray. As we go out and emulate our Lord by proclaiming his gospel, that he would extend his grace to all those in our sphere of influence. We are to continue to see our own brokenness and therefore walk humbly before our God. But we walk knowing that the scripture concerning our Lord has indeed been fulfilled. All that he said that he would do, he has done. His active and passive obedience has been accomplished. Now he sits on the right-hand side of the Father and looks to us to go and proclaim these truths. May we do so in the power of the Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, 5, and it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is a promise that he has made. Whatever is broken in your life today, whatever is amiss, know that our Lord has made it right, is making it right, and will ultimately make it perfect once again. And that is why we come here and praise his name because of what he's done and who he is. Amen. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text where we see our Lord himself proclaiming the good news concerning himself. We pray, Lord, that you would grab hold of our hearts and cause us to see him again high and exalted, see him in all his glory. We pray, Lord, and we confess that we walk in our flesh at times and we neglect to do the things that he did and the way he did. That is in the power of the Spirit, submitted to your spirit. We ask your spirit uh, that you would, by the power of your spirit, that you would indeed cause us to submit our wills to yours and to walk in a manner that glorifies you. We thank you again for all that Jesus has done and all that he is doing in our lives. And we pray that you would give us the strength to go and proclaim his goodness to all those in our spirit of influence for your purpose and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.